Hey y'all, although this past week has been a busy one in aviation history, it's also been a pretty busy one for me personally, so we're going to try something a little different this week, and I'm going to share a pirate about one of the flights I recently took with my three boys to Lake Havasu, Arizona. You're listening to episode 20 of the Platt Pilot Podcast, and I'm your host, Todd Weld. Hey everybody out there, glad to have you guys back this week. I uh, hope it's been a good one for you. Mine has been a good week, but it's been pretty busy. Been getting over being sick. You can probably tell my voice still isn't 100%. We actually skipped an episode last week. Uh, my voice was even worse than it is right now. And like I said, things were pretty crazy. Car's been having maintenance issues I've been trying to get fixed. Been flying, been traveling. Uh, you know, as my granddad would say, I've been busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. So and I actually got to see him this weekend. I did go to, uh, I guess, the week before last as you're listening to this. But uh, yeah, got to take a tri- trip back to Oklahoma. And I had a pretty good time. I had the opportunity to take uh, two of my cousins flying for their first time. Uh, and one of them is in an aviation program at their high school. You know, they're brothers. So when I found that out, I had to see if they would want to go up. And of course, you know, I had to make sure their mom was okay with that whole idea. And they wanted to go. She was okay with it. Uh, and I take any excuse I can to get in the air, share aviation with somebody new. And uh, so that's what we did. And, uh, you know, getting to share my love of flying with some young people who are also interested in flying. Uh, it was a really cool thing for me. So uh, my kids are still kind of young. So this was really the first time that I had the opportunity to take somebody up who was kind of in that you know critical point of their life where they could start making potential career decisions and trying to you know point their life in a specific direction for what they want to do as a career. And I don't know if either of them are you know wanting really to pursue flight training or not for fun or as a career or anything. Uh, but I think they both had a good time, and I know I really did. So it was just a really cool thing getting to share that experience with them and letting them uh, take the controls a little bit, and, and it was a good time. Got to uh, land at OU, the University of Oklahoma. Uh, they have their own airport. You know, they have an aviation program there, so it makes sense that they would have an airport to conduct all that flight training activity. And the fuel pump out in Goldsby, Goldsby, Oklahoma, is this town that I fly out of when I go back home, and the fuel pump was actually broken at Goldsby. And so I had to hop over to OU to get gas in the airplane. And it's a pretty close hop. It's It's within 10 nautical miles. Uh, maybe even five. It, it's basically you take off, and as soon as you're, you know, 400 AGL, you really need to turn turn on that crosswind leg to avoid flying into that class delta there at, at OU. Uh, so they're pretty close airports. But I got to add that airport. You know, I'd seen it obviously from flying there before, but it was the first time that I actually landed there. Got to add a new one to the logbook, so that's always fun. And then, of course sharing a flight with uh, with my cousins was a pretty cool time as well. I do want to give a huge shout out to Smith Aviation Services out there in Goldsby. You know, I've flown with them before. They've had a really rough go of things the last six months or so. Uh, this spring, they lost a few of their planes to tornadoes. You know, it's Oklahoma. They get tornadoes in the spring pretty regular, but uh, they had one that actually hit the airport and they lost some planes to that whole situation. And then a few weeks ago, somebody came onto the airfield and stripped out a bunch of the avionics from their aircraft that, you know, thieves thinking they need the avionics more than people who own them. And so I think all of their airplanes were actually stripped of their avionics. So put them in a really bad position. Luckily, uh, there were some people who were able to work with them. I don't know if they were companies or individuals or it could be a mix of the two. I'm not really sure. Uh, But they were able to get some loaner avionics installed in the airplane. So they're operational again. Uh, But they have had their hands absolutely full. But it's been great to work with them. Uh, in spite of all that craziness, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time when I go back home. Uh, usually 
I'm doing kind of like a long weekend type thing and they just make it super easy to you know get on the schedule and all that kind of stuff. So I really do appreciate it. Anytime anything's come up maintenance wise or anything like that, I've always been able to reach out to Mike as an instructor over there. You know, he's the guy I work with most of the time and he's always been great. You can shoot him a text, give him a call, whatever, and he makes sure that everything gets taken care of. So huge shout out to those guys over there. Uh, love what they're doing and I'm glad that I have a good place that I can go fly when I'm out of town. I don't know how many of our Oklahoma listeners out there are actually pilots or, you know, looking to uh, get into flight training or anything like that, or maybe not Okie listeners who happen to find yourself in central Oklahoma looking to get into the air. Uh, but if you fall in any of those categories, absolutely. Next time you're in central Oklahoma, give the folks over there a call and uh, see if they can help you out. And they aren't a sponsor or anything. I doubt anybody associated with them even knows this podcast exists. Uh, but I'm just sharing because I've had nothing but positive experiences with them and they deserve the shout out. Good, good group of folks over there. So all together this week, as I'm recording this the week after, probably as you're listening to it, um, I put in like eight or 10 hours of flying and I haven't, I haven't actually figured my logbook yet on account of all the running around I've been doing. I'm just trying to get caught up from my weekend in Oklahoma and that kind of thing. But you know, that eight to 10 hours, is not a crazy amount, but especially for me, it's a pretty solid week of flying. And I started the, I started the week out getting my night currency back. Um, you know, in the summer, it's a little harder to keep that up, but, uh, I've had several landings that were after the sun had gone down, but to count them towards night currency, you know, they have to be an hour after sunset. So wasn't quite late enough to count as night landings. So I'd fallen out of the legal limits of night currency, still felt comfortable and safe flying at night, but just to legally carry passengers at night needed to get up there knock out a couple landings. So was able to get that taken care of, get those three full stop night landings within the last 90 days uh, to carry passengers and be legal. And then, um, so after I had knocked that out the next day or two, I don't remember which it was, I actually took my youngest son up for his birthday, his eighth birthday. So he'd been wanting to go up and fly, been going back and forth on what he wanted to do for that birthday flight. And then finally settled on an evening flight, short evening flight, just me and him. And then you know, we'd fly, fly as a family all together shortly thereafter. And so he's been up before and he's enjoyed flying, but this was the first time that he's ap- had the opportunity to actually fly the airplane, take the controls a little bit. And of course, he can't reach the rudder pedals. He's only eight and he can't really see over the panel. So a few challenges there to overcome. But between looking out the side window and keeping an eye on the instruments, he was able to do pretty good um, keeping a straight and level. And so that was a really cool experience too, just letting him do that and, and experience that. I think he had a good time. We got to fly over the strip. You know, usually when you uh, you take off from North Las Vegas, if you want to get to the south end of the valley, they route you all the way around the long way. And uh, this time they put us right over, you know, just south of the strip, right over McCarran. It was pretty cool, pretty cool view. Got to see the uh, the sphere, the new sphere that they lit up in the last month or two. Um, got to see it from the air all lit up. That was pretty cool. Then on Monday. Uh, the boys had the day off from school for teacher conference, parent-teacher conferences or something like that, um, or maybe fall break. I'm not sure what the exact reasoning was that they had that day off, but they didn't have school. And uh, I usually don't work on Mondays, so we took a flight down to Lake Havasu in Arizona. And last year, I think it was in like August or September, uh, I took my middle son out, and we went out to Lake Havasu. And they had this really neat restaurant. They had a pool on the field that you could swim in, free popcorn, snow cones in the FBO. Like it was a really, really cool experience. Uh, Just a really cool time. And I thought it'd be a great experience to take all the kids because the other two boys hadn't had the opportunity to go down there yet. And of all the things that I've gotten to do with flying the past five years or so, 
the the coolest has just been able to go fly with all three of them together. Their mama still likes to stay on the ground. If I ever do get her up and she enjoys it, then that might be taking all three boys up just barely because uh, that'd be a super cool thing. But right now, the pinnacle has just been getting all three of the kids up there at the same time. Uh, fun for us to share that experience and, and that kind of thing. So we headed down there and I wanted to share a little bit about uh, my experience because it's changed a lot in the last year and in a couple months. So here's my PyRep, which for the non-pilots uh, in the room, it's a uh, PyRep is short for pilot report. A lot of times uh, when you hear PyRep, it's talking about reports that you actually give to ATC on cross-country flights about the flight conditions, the weather, that kind of stuff. But it, it's also used in reference to write-ups and that kind of thing. You know, just trips, how a certain trip went, or a particular airplane that you tried out that you've never flown in before. You know, I've seen it used in those situations as well. So occasionally I'd like to incorporate that kind of stuff into the podcast. You know, let me know if it's a win or if you really don't care. But you can always email me, Todd at theplaidpilot.com. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at theplaidpilot. Just let me know what you think about this new format, throwing it in every once once in a while, every now and again. Uh, and if you enjoy it, we'll try and uh, try and share some of the flights that we take in the future. So the date for this flight was October 9th. So you're listening to this probably going to be about two weeks at least in the past. Um, we were supposed to take off at nine in the morning for Lake Havasu airport designator code, whatever you want to call that is uh, K H I I that's Kilo hotel, India, India. If you're trying to look it up and it's about 106 nautical miles South, Southeast of North Las Vegas, just for an idea of where we're taking off from, where we're headed, that kind of thing. Uh, so during pre-flight, we actually found a maintenance issue with the intercom system in the back seat. So we needed to get that addressed. I didn't want to take the kids up. It wouldn't have been, you know, a deal breaker as far as legalities or even safety, really. But it was just one of those things that I, I would have felt better making sure that we had that open line of communication between me and the kids in the back seat, just in case they needed anything or started feeling sick or anything like that. Wanted to be able to talk to each other. So wasn't really sure what we we're going to do. Luckily, was able to find one of the maintainers in the hangar, one of the aircraft technicians, and uh, he was able to get it squared away good enough to get us through. So, and uh, we were able to get in the air before ten o'clock in the morning. So, took off a little bit late, but not uh, nothing too crazy. And it was a pretty smooth flight. We got lucky with uh, ATC routing again. Been a good week for ATC routing, apparently. Uh, you know, usually, like I was telling you, they usually route you around the edge of the valley. If we were headed to like Havasu, normally. They'd make you fly out, you know, you'd fly north first, and then once you got a little ways north, they'd cut you back east and put you out over Nellis, and then usually you'd fly, continue to fly past Nellis over the lake, and then, you know, once you kind of got over Lake Mead, they'd turn you south towards your destination, assuming your destination is in the south. But we hadn't even made it as far east as Nellis yet, uh, and they decided to turn us south. We got vectors, I think at one point it was uh, 180, so heading directly south. Uh, and we basically just flew right east of McCarran, or Harry Reid, I guess they call it now. And I re really like when they do that, because not only does it save you time, and therefore some money, uh, it's also safer. If you lose an engine over Las Vegas, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to glide into one of the airports. You know, we have McCarran that has a handful of uh, runways. You have Nellis. You have... Henderson, Boulder City, North Las Vegas. There's just so many different places that you can land if you need to. Whereas if you lose an engine over the lake, there's a really good chance that you're going to have to put it down in the lake. There's a couple of airfields right around the lake. I think there's a dirt field, Pierce Ferry, uh, I believe is a dirt field. 
there's one or two others I can't remember the names of right now. Um, that if you're in gliding distance of those, you'd probably be all right. Just put it down on there. Uh, but most of the terrain around, with the exception of those airfields, the terrain around the lake is pretty rough terrain. You got Valley of Fire over there and and just a lot of stuff like that. So always great to be get vectors over airfields in case of, you know, worst case type scenario. But anyway, so I picked uh, 9,500 feet for our altitude because we were on an easterly heading. Technically, we were headed mostly south, but our heading was between zero and 179 degrees. So incorporate that flight training tidbit in there when you're heading or your course, I guess it's based on your course, um, is the east on the eastern half of the compass, that zero to 179. Uh, you're supposed to fly at odd thousands plus 500 feet. So that would be 3,500, well, 1,500 feet if you're flying somewhere super low, 1,500, 3,500, 5,500, so on. Pick 9,500. And the flight was pretty uneventful. Once we got out away from the Vegas Valley, we headed straight for Lake Mojave on the Colorado River, and we basically just followed the Colorado River down the rest of the way to Lake Havasu. And it had been a while since I'd done any instrument flying. This wasn't instrument conditions by any stretch of the imagination, but even shot and approach, that kind of thing. So um, decided to go ahead and plug in the uh, RNAV approach, GPS approach into Lake Havasu. And, you know, obviously I wasn't under the hood or anything because didn't have a safety pilot. And uh, you got to have a safety pilot in the right seat if you're going to be going under the hood so you can't see anything outside. You still got to scan for traffic and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't a loggable approach or anything like that, but I just wanted to kind of run through the motions of pulling the plate up and punching the approach in and all that kind of stuff, making your calls and, and that fun stuff. So it was good to have that refresher. I need to at some point get with a, an instructor and I guess probably knock out an IPC just to uh, instrument prof proficiency check just to stay, stay sharp on that kind of stuff because out here we really don't have the opportunity to use IFR uh, flying very much. Usually if there's enough clouds that are low enough where you could actually you know, theoretically reach them in a small airplane, it's usually not safe to. Either it's too cold and you have to worry about icing or you know it's super windy, gusty, thunderstorms, that kind of stuff. And you never want to fly through that. So instrument rating out here, difficult to keep up without a safety pilot. Um, but obviously it's important skills to, uh, to keep brushed up on. So, and you know, the plane that we were flying with, it was all steam gauges. So I had the CDI, um, it didn't even have the magnetometer like we talked about in the episode before last. Um, so every so often you had to manually adjust the heading indicator and that was good practice staying sharp on steam gauges. Cause you know, most of the planes that I've been flying with lately, you know, flying with the, uh, part 141 stuff, they had the G 1000s, which is basically an all glass panel. And even before that, the, most of the aircraft, the 172s I was flying just part 61 stuff flying around for fun and doing my instrument training, they had the dual G fives. So a little bit different than steam gauges. So it's always good to mix it up, not get too used to one configuration or type of instruments, um, and stay sharp on as many systems as kind of you have access to. Now, it did get a little bumpy on final, uh, coming over the mountains there off the approach end of that runway, is runway 14 down at Havasu, landing to the south. But the winds were calm, the landing was uneventful, like I said, just got a little bit bumpy coming over those mountains there off the approach end, and you know... Common uneventful is really what you're looking for when you're uh, trying to land an airplane. So it was warm. It was, I think when we landed there, it was 90 degrees or a little bit north of that. And we called up Desert Skies on the radio. We taxi in. They actually, once you get off the runway, they have a, uh, a sign that tells you the frequencies for the different FBOs and who you're trying to talk to and that kind of thing. 
And uh, some places your FBOs will have a frequency that you can talk to them on. Some of them won't. These, you know, the FBOs at Lake Havasu do, or they're supposed to anyway. Uh, dialed in the frequency for Desert Skies, called them up on the radio, got no response. First, we called uh, Havasu Air Center and uh, just to make sure we were going where we wanted to go. They answered right away, told us we were looking for Desert Skies. So called up Desert Skies, no response. In retrospect, that was probably our first sign that things weren't going to be quite like they were the last time we'd landed there. And keep in mind, this was when I landed there in August. I think it was August of last year. Not just a whole lot of time for things to change, but last year, one of the gentlemen at the FBO actually met us on the ramp, uh, helped us tie down the airplane, gave us a ride, you know, and I don't, I don't remember if it was a car or a golf cart or what it was that he had out there, but, you know, offered to, to bring the fuel truck out and we didn't need fuel at the time, but he gave us a ride to the FBO this year there was nothing, which wasn't a big deal. Most most of the time when you fly somewhere, at least the places I fly, usually smaller airports and stuff like that, there's nobody that's going to meet you on the ramp anyway. That's not something that you would ever expect. But that was something that really stood out the last time is there was somebody that, you know, as he heard us coming in, he's like, okay, let me go out and meet him and see what needs to be done. And this last time, nothing. So things have just changed, you know. Um, so we walked into the FBO, wanted to make sure we were okay to leave the plane parked where it was at, see if we owed any ramp fees, because sometimes places will charge you. Um, there was a sign that mentioned ramp fees on the ramp. So just wanted to make sure that we were all on the up and up and want to get any nasty surprises or have anybody angry at us. So, but talk to him, he said, you know, ramp fees are only, uh, only for overnight parking, which is also pretty common. Um, but the guy we talked to, he just seemed so, he was professional and whatnot, but he was just kind of cold and uncaring, maybe. I don't know if that's the right, the right word. But he just didn't seem to, you know, he answered the questions that we had, but he he didn't really seem particularly happy to see us or to be there for that matter. Um, and like I said, he wasn't really rude. He was just, it was another one of those, you know, juxtapositions against the friendly and super helpful staff that we experienced last time. Because last time it was like, you know, coming home to family that hadn't seen you in a while and they were just so happy to have you at the airport and sharing snow cones and popcorn and all that kind of stuff. So it was just a different situation. And then I also noticed that the snow cone, speaking of snow cones, uh, the snow cone and popcorn machines that they used to have there in the pilot lounge were gone, um, which I thought was weird. Made a mental note of it and decided we'd just talk to him about it. I was curious and I figured I'd talk to him about it after we had lunch was already getting on lunchtime. We'd left a little bit late. So headed over to Hangar 24. Uh, it's a, a brewery slash restaurant. I don't know if you'd call it a bar and grill or what exactly you'd call it. Uh, it's called Hangar 24. And luckily, despite the already underwhelming experience with Desert Skies, Hangar 24 was everything that I'd remembered it to be. Um, you sit on these picnic tables inside. There's an airplane hanging from the ceiling. It's not like a model or whatever. It's a full-blown airplane. Uh, I'm sure the engine's been removed along with some other stuff for weight and money reasons, but at least superficially, it looks like you could just take the airplane down, hop in and go flying. Uh, it's just kind of cool, really cool atmosphere. Uh, for people that have a designated driver or designated flyer, they have a whole bunch of craft beers and all the handles on the taps are propeller blades. So it's just, you know, it's a really cool atmosphere, really cool experience. And they have the stage in the dining area, which I assume they use for live music. I've never been there. I've only been there as a second time uh, and I've never seen anybody performing, but it looks like it's set up to have live music, maybe in the evenings or something. Um, and they also have this program there that I thought was kind of neat. You can buy service members meals. So 
Uh, I think it's it's ten dollars, which is actually less than most of the meals there cost. Um, but when a service member comes in, you know they have the tallied up how many meals they have available or whatever the people have purchased, um, and they're able to eat for free, which I thought you know it's kind of a cool thing. Um, and while we were in there, actually four Navy trainer aircraft landed. Each one had two, so there was eight pilots in total that came in to eat. And I don't know if they took advantage of the free meals or not, but I got the feeling that it was a pretty common destination for military training flights to land there and come for lunch. So that was kind of a neat thing to get to see that. About the food there, uh, the kids' menu is pretty limited. Uh, You can only get a grilled cheese, a cheeseburger, or chicken tenders on the kids' menu. But if we're being honest, that's probably about 95% of what kids eat at restaurants anyway. So two of the boys got burgers. My oldest son, he got a grilled cheese or toasted cheese. If you're listening up in New England, I think that's what they call those up there. And my oldest is fairly picky, but he ate everything. He said it was all right, which is about all you can ask for if it's not candy or something like that. So that was as close to a gold star as you're going to get for him for the most part. And the other two, they love their burgers and fries. And they had to argue about which was better because it's not really a meal if you haven't had at least one disagreement. But they were able to come to the consensus that the meal earned at least a rating of bussin', which I'm told is how the cool kids describe something that is exceptionally delicious. Uh, My youngest boy described the burger as bussin' bussin', which apparently is like the epitome of good eating. So I had this barbecue chicken flatbread thing. It was really good. It had barbecue sauce and onions and chicken and stuff like that. I don't know, cheese. Um... And it was really good, too. One might even say bussin'. So overall, really great experience at Hangar 24. No complaints whatsoever. It is a little pricey, um, but what's not these days? The meal ended up being about what you'd pay for an hour of ground instruction. But when you're renting an airplane for $160 an hour or so, and you're flying two or three hour round trip to go eat, you know, that's really not a deal breaker. So after we ate, we were going to go right over to swim. uh, But since those Navy aircraft had landed, we wanted to go check trainers out you know we assumed they had parked on the ramp i assumed they had parked on the ramp still not for sure what they were we we walked over to them took a look at them i think uh, i think maybe they were t6 texan twos um but i'm not super sharp on the different models of trainers you know it was a turboprop airplane single engine i did post some pictures on instagram so if you want to go check those out let me know if you are all brushed up on your navy trainer aircraft that would be awesome i'd love to know what they were um, like I said, I did a little bit of looking online, and it looks like they're probably T6 Texan 2s. Cockpit looks a little bit different, but I don't know if it was a different model than the ones I found online or what, what was going on there. But yeah, just go check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, but yeah, we went to go check them out. Wanted to see them close up. It was kind of neat. It's always fun. You go to, to new airports, especially smaller airports that are not necessarily the middle of nowhere, but they're just away from the major city areas. Um, it's fun to see airplanes that you didn't think that you'd find there. So Went and checked out the airplanes, got a couple pictures. Uh, you know, they were taking on gas. We talked to the the fuel truck guy there for a minute. Then we headed back to the FBO. And the way it's set up, you enter through the front. And then down through the main hallway, there's a back door that puts you out by the pool area. So we started out that way like we did the last time. And as we're making our way back there, this woman in one of the offices, I can't tell where she's even at. Hadn't seen her or talked with her earlier that day. You just hear this voice, this woman's voice shout from one of the offices, exits the other way. And it wasn't like, hey, how are you guys doing? Can I help you find anything? Nothing. It was just exits the other direction. Get out. The get out was implied, but it was it was strongly implied. So I found I had to check a couple offices. I found the office that she was in. And so I want to talk to her for a second and see, you know, maybe she didn't mean to come off that way. 
um, anything like that. I don't know. And I was just going to let her know that we were headed to the pool because at this point I thought that was still an option. And then she told me that because of new ownership or a new tenant in the building or something like that, that the pool was now a private pool, liability reasons, which makes sense. Uh, liability reasons. They didn't want just transient traffic swimming in the pool. Uh, and she was still giving some pretty standoffish type vibes. Um, so I didn't really dig into figuring out, you know, what exactly the root of the issue was because she was, she made no, no questions about it. We weren't allowed in the pool. So, uh, I did ask her about the snow cone machine and she told me it was broken. So on this one, I did decide to dig a little bit because I figured, you know, there's enough pilots, you know, talk to pilots out here all the time who love to go out to Lake Havasu for the pool and the snow cones and the popcorn and just, you know, that whole atmosphere of being a fun place to go to, you know, long flight in the summer, great to cool off before you fly back. And I figured there's enough pilots that have enjoyed that experience that we could easily, you know, if it was a money issue, uh, we'd easily be able to raise the money and have it repaired or buy a new one or whatever needed to be done. And then she told me that it wasn't wanted by, again, these new tenants or whoever it was, you know, who have apparently dedicated their lives to making this the happiest place on earth. And I kind of, after talking to her about that, you know, letting me know it wasn't wanted and all that kind of thing. I kind of got the feeling that when it supposedly broke, it was when they threw it away. Again, she's just very terse, unfriendly. You know, the the first guy that I had talked to, he at least still had that professionalism about him. This woman, I don't know who she was, but she didn't so much. Um, she kind of just seemed like she hated her life, which is super unfortunate. And I hope she was just having a bad day and I hope her day got better. Um, but yeah, the whole place, it just felt off. The exact opposite of my experience just a little over a year ago. Um, they did still have a chessboard in the in the pilot's lounge area and a couple brain teaser games. They have, you know, a couple like horseshoe nails that are twisted. You gotta untwist and that kind of thing. Um, so we played with those for a little bit, called the fuel truck, waited for them to show up. They do have self-serve fuel there, but the temperature at this point it was in the you know mid to high nineties, and we didn't need a whole lot of gas. So I figured it was just worth letting the kids hang out in the air conditioning and paying a little bit out of pocket for that fuel truck to come take care of us. So, um, and then, you know, after, after getting the bill and all that kind of stuff, I figured out the taxi from where we were parked to the fuel pump and back probably would have put more money on the Hobbs than we ended up having to pay extra for fuel anyway. So it really worked out in all ways. Um, and while we were pre-flighting, we got to watch the Navy trainers take off information. And so that was really cool. That was the first time I think I've ever seen uh, any type of aircraft taking off information that wasn't, you know, part of an air show or something like that. So it was just really, really neat because we were right there on the ramp. So, you know, 50 yards maybe from the runway getting to see that. It was a really cool experience. And the guy with the fuel truck from the uh, Havasu Air Center, he was super friendly. So Desert Skies, I don't know what's going on over there. They don't seem to enjoy life terribly, but, uh, have Sioux air center. They seem like they're doing something right over there. This guy is super friendly. Talked to him for a few minutes, um, kind of about what we'd experienced over at desert skies. And, uh, he told me the next time we flew in just to give them a call first a day or two in advance. And they'd actually arrange for a crew car. They don't have a crew car on the field, I guess. Um, but apparently they have one somewhere that he could move to the field. So he said, give them a call. Um, he get a crew car brought over there so we didn't have to rent. My understanding is they do have fairly cheap rentals. Um, if you do want to go into town or you want to go check out the lake and go swimming or anything like that. Um, but so he was super helpful. Next time we go out there, definitely going to stop in at Hangar 24 for lunch. 
and uh, then we'll probably just head straight over to Havasu Air Center and see what things look like over there. Look at getting that crew car. The flight back, it was warm, but it was mostly uneventful. Um, we did hit a fair amount of turbulence coming back. You know, temperatures rising, going over the mountains. You're you're bound to get turbulence in those conditions. Um, and of course, the boys aren't big fans of bumpy air, but they all handled it pretty well. Um, they did route us, you know, talking about ATC routing. In this particular instance, they did route us the long way all around the west side of the valley, but wasn't a big deal. Um, they, ATC was super helpful. And, uh, you know, about an hour and a half after we took off from Lake Havasu, we were safely on the ground in Las Vegas and another successful trip was in the logbook. So overall, it was a great experience. Um, love getting to take the kids flying. I love being able to go somewhere where we actually do something. Uh, the only other time I've been able to take all three of the kids at the same time, we just flew up to Mesquite and this was like eight or nine o'clock in the evening. There was nothing to do. Uh, nothing was open. We just, you know, got out, looked at the stars for a minute and, hop back in and, and took off. But so it was really fun when you can go somewhere and do something, get lunch and maybe swim if there's a swimming pool, but that wasn't the case. I, I don't know what's going on over there at desert skies. I doubt if we'll be hanging out at that FBO anymore. Um, but we'll definitely be back to Havasu. It was still a good time. We'll definitely grab food at hangar 24. That was awesome. And then, like I said, we'll be checking out that Havasu air center FBO. Uh, cause they seemed really helpful. It seemed really friendly and it's weird because if you check out the comments on Four Flight about the airport, flights from a year ago or more, they're all super positive about Desert Skies. Um, and then you get much newer than that, and it starts to seem like everyone has problems there. But the focus has really switched to, you know, reading through those comments, the focus has switched to how great Havasu Air Center is. So it's too bad about the pool and the snow cones and the popcorn and just everyone's attitude over there. But I am glad that it created this opportunity for what seems like a really great business to get some more traffic directed their way. So everything works out. A little bit of a silver line in there, I guess. So there's my short, well, short-ish little pirate. Um, a little bit different from the stuff we usually do on the podcast. So let me know if that's something you want to hear more of, uh, or if you'd rather keep it more focused on aviation history. Um, of course, you can always email me at Todd at thepladpilot.com or DM me on Instagram at thepladpilot. Uh, I'm also on threads and Facebook. So if you don't like those pages yet, or follow those pages, or whatever it is you do on those pages, make sure you do that. I'd love to hear from you. And let me know what your uh, favorite cross-country destination is. Whatever part of the country it is that you live in or fly in, let me know what what your favorite one is. Let me know why you like it, and uh, maybe we can talk about it on a future episode. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to follow the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope to catch you next week, but until then, y'all stay safe out there. Keep the dirty side down, the pointy end forward, and as my wife always says, fluffy landings. <laughs>